Now, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. But I can run like the wind blows. From that day on, if I was going somewhere, I was running. Welcome to Talking Giants. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. Today, we're going to get into the running back position, do a review on the 2019 year that was. We're going to answer some of your mailbag questions. But Justin Pennick, how are you doing, my man? Bobby Skinner, uh, it is so great to be talking with you uh, once again, like we do every single day, like we do every single week. Uh, I'm kind of excited. Uh, the week, the weekend's coming up. Uh, I kind of want to check out the XFL. Uh, they're going to be playing at MetLife Stadium this Sunday. Uh, you know, we'll, we're gonna we're gonna start a podcast called Talking Guardians. That'll be the most successful thing on John Boy Media Network. Um, so, but I'm kind of uh, I'm excited for the weekend to come. I'm excited for this running back conversation. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I'm gonna with the XFL. I'm gonna watch the first week, and everyone's gonna say, "Wow, this is." This, look at the ratings. It beat the NBA's ratings. And then the second week, the ratings are going to go down significantly. And then week six, the league will probably fold. So I'm looking forward to that same process that we do with every football league that comes around, whether it's the AAF, the XFL, the Freedom Football League. I mean, there's just there's getting to be so many of them. Uh, but what I am looking forward to, not, to, not today, but the next Friday, is the best-kept secret in Daytona, Florida. Everyone likes to go to the Daytona 500. The best race to go to, Justin, is the Friday night it's truck race. It's the shootout. Race. Oh, it's the truck race. The shootout races are good to go. I've you know been to the – those are fun. That's another night one. But you go to the truck race. It's Friday night. You can bring in your own beer. And everyone packs towards the middle. But what they don't realize is on such a big track, we literally go all the way as far as you can to the to the turn one. We get a whole section to our, ourselves. Like, I'm talking a whole section to ourselves. There's lots of wrecks. It's short. It's the best kept secret of Daytona Speed Weeks. Turn one is like, because if you think about how Daytona is situated, it, no, turn one, you said? I didn't know there were grandstands in turn one. Well, no, I'm as close as you can get to turn one. Oh, okay. Because there's like that, that back straightaway that's past the start finish line. So no, you're right. There are there are a lot of you can kind of see everything from there. Yeah, because then you even get a good look at the start finish line. It's like the best that. spot, and you get it all to yourself. And then what we do is with five laps left, we just start walking towards the start finish line, and then we sit. We we get to be there for the, at the start finish line for the last two laps. So we, I mean, we've got it rigged out perfectly. We don't even pay for parking. We literally just park up on a curb, go over some bushes, and we have free parking. I mean, we have rigged the Daytona system as best we can. Well, especially in NASCAR, there's barely anybody going to the races anymore. So you, it's easy. It's easier to rig now than it was like ten years ago. Yeah, and and then last year, I mean, we literally walked up with like half a case of Bush, and we're like, "Hey, can we can we bring this in?" And they're like, "Yeah, well, okay, that's cool." So it's all good. Um, T- talking NASCAR. Yeah, coming off the Kevin Zeiler interview, most people like that. A few people didn't because they wanted a John Smilk like interview, where they talked about their work ethic. Um, but just we're we're trying to give something a little different, you know what I'm saying? Like go listen to John, go, go listen to John Smilk if you want that. John Schmilk, you poop. 
I, I don't dislike John Smelk. I'm just saying that if you want those kind of interviews, they do them all. They probably got one with every single player on the team. Well, no, let me let me say this. Because as I was kind of thinking about it more and as I was like, okay, you know, I made, you know, we made some videos uh, post-interview and post-release of it. Kevin Seitler, he's a football player. Like, legit. And I know that's like a that's cliche true. thing to Great, say. That's a good point. No, but unlike guys where you're like, you know, he, this guy maybe has an attitude. This guy maybe, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of doing it for himself. The dude's a grinder. The dude's a worker. And f- the fact that he has been doing his pass sets for as long as he's been doing them because in high school he ran tri- you know that their team ran triple option the fact that he's been doing it that long for how long that he does it and he still feels to this day that he needs to have his tech for somebody that is not that is so not confident in their technique as as he is apparently which he kind of gave that insight to us for somebody that you know looks so good playing the game of football as as an offensive lineman which is tough to do by the way it's tough to look good playing the game as an offensive lineman uh you know, he, while while the personality cert, certainly didn't shine because he showed that dude's a worker, he's a grinder, and he's a football player. I thought so. it was just fine. I think it was the best Kevin Zeiler interview you can get. Amen. Um, and there's always going to be a couple people that are going to complain, but you don't want to work. Like I said, I was thinking something funny that we could do to, like, liven up the offseason because as much as this offseason might get exciting – Last off seasons will will never be matched as far as Giants. I mean, we traded Odell, we drafted a QB. There's all kinds of drama. Like it's it's gonna go on. Un- there's last off season is it will go unmatched. I think it'd be funny if we could like all call into Big Blue uh, kickoff and not just like outright prank them, but just subtly prank them. Like we could have one episode where we all call in and we can ask about Sam Beal, where it's like every single call is about Sam Beal. Do you think that would be kind of funny? <laughs> It'll be like uh, people calling into Francesa talking about Giambi. <laughs> yeah, but we we won't, but like we won't just be like flat out like I'm pranking you like the Giambi calls. We could just every single call. If you want to do that, DM DM me and we can coordinate that. I just think it'd be funny, and I like those guys at Big Blue Kickoff. I was just thinking of some ways to liven up the uh, the off season. I mean, hey, we're giving them promotion right now, but Justin, we got to get to the running backs. Let's get to the running backs. So it's a very interesting conversation that kind of stems from the running backs. Particularly one. All right, Sam Beal. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're, now we're going to get a bunch of voicemails about Sam Beal. <laughs> um, all right, the first one on the list is the most obvious one. The 2018 number two overall pick. The most controversial, like, star player. The mo- he's probably the most controversial guy who's like, yep, he's really good, but it's a controversial pick. Saquon Barkley's 23 years old uh, on Sunday. He's 5'11", 233 pounds, coming off his second uh, out of two seasons where he uh, eclipsed 1,000 rushing yards, coming off an injured year where he missed three games and was banged up for a handful of them. Justin, how are you feeling about Saquon from the 2019 season? I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I kind of, Bobby, I kind of have a rant. or, or it's, not, it's not a rant. It's just, it's a lot to say. It's a lot of stats. It's a lot of thoughts. So are, are you buckled in? Are you ready? I'm buckled in, buckaroo. So he started out the first two weeks uh, absolutely on fire. Uh, people, people said that he should have gotten the ball more, even though we were down by multiple scores in Dallas and Buffalo. He touched the ball over 20 times, so there's that as well. Obviously, he gets hurt, and Bobby, we can dissect that injury. We can dissect it a little bit more as we go on. Uh, and I and Bobby, I would honestly love to hear the 16-game rate numbers uh, because there are some statistics where you can say, Yup, this negative statistic was definitely a product of the injury. And then some of them 
uh, were somewhat on par to the performance that he put up in 2018. So you had some spots of his uh, season where you could say uh, it was because of the injury and you could look at this stat and it says that. And then some spots where it's like, well, uh, if you look at his yards and you look at his yards per carry, doesn't exactly match up. So, Bobby, do you want to give us those 16 game rate numbers and then I can get into more of my. Uh... I'm, I'm the 16 game rate king, Justin. He finished the season with 1,003 yards and 4.6 yards per carry, six touchdowns, 52 catches, 438 yards and two touchdowns. On a 16-game rate, that's 1,234 yards rushing. Justin, that's only 73 yards short of his 2018 year where he was undoubtedly hurt. That's undoubtedly hurt, and that's his on pace, and he missed a whole half against Tampa Bay. Now, that Tampa Bay game wasn't going good on the ground, but you never know you know what he could have broke off in the second half. Now, he averaged less yards per carry. He averaged five yards per carry in his rookie season. 4.6 in this year, but he had some like some like bad games. I mean, he had a game against the Jets where he rushed for one yard and to be 73 yards short. And what was a down year? It was a down year. But I don't want this to be about like should he been picked a two. But it's pretty nice to have a running back who can have missed three games, have a down year, have like some flat out bad games, and my man still eclipsed a thousand yards when we are trailing most of these games. So it wasn't like we had the ability to just pound the rock. Yeah, and even though I'm a guy who disagreed with the number two pick, I'm still I'm a guy who still disagrees with that number two pick in 2018. That's not what this episode and that's not what this conversation is going to be about. So Bobby gave you that stat on the 16 game rate and like, oh well, even though Saquon Barkley was hurt, he was only 70 something yards short of his 2018 you know 16 game rate. But I'm going to give you some stats that clearly, at least in my brain and what makes sense to me, why his ankle limited him so much in 2019. So. Bobby, here's here's kind of a of, of a banana stat. Leaders in yards after contact since 2018. Now, this is all skill position players. This is not just running backs. So this includes wide receivers and tight ends and running backs as well. Uh, Bobby, can you guess who is number one in yards after contact in the NFL since 2018? Who is number one in the league? Saquon Barkley. No, no, very wrong. Well, I, I thought it'd be easy. Who is no. it? It's a uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey, your best uh, one of your good friends, who you did a, a an in depth study on uh, over the course of the season. So it's Christian McCaffrey number one at eighteen fifty eight, which is nuts. George Kittle number two at fourteen ninety four yards after contact since twenty eighteen. Austin Eckler thirteen sixty four. Where did he come from? And then Saquon Barkley is fourth, twelve thirty five, one thousand two hundred thirty five yards after contact since 2018. So what makes him still being ranked so high in that category is due to the fact um, as of November 12th, which was week 12, uh, I'm sorry, which was week 11, Barkley's yards after contact per attempt went down from 3.34 in 2018 to 2.41 in 2019. So his yards after contact per carry went down almost an entire yard from this year compared to last year, and that ranked him 41st amongst running backs with at least 50 attempts and receptions in 2019. So at that point, the convo around Barkley is, oh, this dude isn't right, and it wasn't until week 15 versus Miami until we saw who we know he is. So his yards after contact serves, I think, as the prime example proving why he wasn't the same guy. Uh, Bobby, do you have any thoughts around that before I give my next statistic in terms of why I feel like he also wasn't healthy. Well, as, as, like you gave the numbers, the eye test as well. Every time after that injury that Saquon got 20-plus yards, every time 
he he ended up hop he ended up hopping off with on one leg, not like 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 blatantly, but you could tell a little like like he had to do a little hop because that ankle wasn't hurting right. I mean, like even like that like sixty eight yard catch against Dallas, he had it. The twenty something yard catch against the Jets. Anytime he that happened, he was like hopping off, and like you said, it was you know green maybe like Green Bay or then when it started to to get right. Even then in that game, like you weren't fully confident in him. Um, and he, he flat out said he was hurt. He said, he said like, oh, we're, you know, he did the, oh, we're all hurt, blah, blah. But he, I can't remember what his words were exactly, but he indirectly said, yes, I'm hurt. That's the bananas part. I I always love using the word bananas. Has anybody else noticed that? That's the wild part about Saquon Barkley's season and how I, I would say the mishandling of his injury went down. You know, when somebody has a has a minimum time frame of missing four weeks for a high ankle sprain, which a high ankle sprain is somewhat of a pretty serious injury, especially for a guy that's taking as much contact and he's taking as much uh, uh, of a beating as, as running backs do. It was a wild, I think, mishandling. And the fact that you did hear Saquon Barkley say, well, uh, uh, I'm hurt. Uh, I'm, st- I'm still kind of hurt. But at the same time, you still couldn't, fully tell though which is what makes this such a confusing conversation where yes you would did you did see him hobbling but he was never but he was never you never pointed to Saquon Barkley and you're like oh he's definitely hurt and they have to take him out of the game you never felt like there was a point where they have to take Saquon Barkley out of this football game am I am I wrong in that and that's what makes this whole thing so confusing and wild to look at from the outside when you're analyzing his 2019 season. Am I wrong in, in that kind of observation, Bobby? No. And you know, we saw with the other guys, which we'll get to that like him unhealthy was a much better option than those guys at full health. See, I mean, he's, he's a special player and Justin, we haven't had a good offensive line and the offensive line was definitely improved in, in 2019. And as bad as Nate Solder was in this year, he was actually pretty decent in the run game. Remmers was all right. Hernandez wasn't as like a mauler like we'd wanted to. Jalapio didn't really get any movement on guys. Um, our guy, Kevin Zeitler, best friend of mine, he loves me very much. He played all right. But, I mean, we watched in the run game. He didn't have like the consistent holes or the be um, missed assignments in the run game. But there was a time in that stretch, Justin, where he was making the wrong reads, where he was just flat out like there was holes. And I did breakdowns on it. I felt bad. I felt like I was nitpicking at an at a, at a amazing player. But there was times where he just flat out missed holes. So with the addition of Mark Colombo and, you know, say we draft a, a tackle or, or we, we, we we can make this offensive line better. I mean, he, he can have like the, that Zeke consistency with the better home run ability, which is kind of like nuts to think about. Yeah, I want to give one more statistic on how I feel like the injury impacted his 2019 season and then I want to get into the aspects of where I feel like he can grow more and you brought up one of those things in terms of he was missing holes um but his evaded tackles statistic which is on a a website called player profiler had him at approximately 7.1 evaded tackles per game in 2018 and in 2019 he averaged 5.2 per game that's a substantial difference and I think I even remember back to this one time in Chicago where there was like a safety that was uh that basically almost arm tackled him. Uh, the safety did not even hit him low, didn't even wrap him up, didn't even hit him by the hip, didn't even hit him by his ankles where he can easily bring him down. It was simply an arm tackle by his shoulders, and he just went down. It's like, why do I have a feeling that 2018 Saquon Barkley does not let anyone, let alone a safety who he can outpower and, and out stiff arm and just out muscle 
um, to just get by him. So um, I feel like even that evaded tackles uh, statistic, uh, it can even tell you that, you know, that's almost a two evaded tackles per game difference from his rookie year to his second year. So, uh, so you mentioned how he was missing reads. He was missing some holes. Um, can I get into uh, one of my critiques of Saquon Barkley? Yeah, if you have to. You know, and at the end of the day, I guess this is nitpicking, but the pressure is kind of on you if you're, you know, you're holding that mantle of being a two, you know, the 2018 uh, second pick of the draft, you know, higher pick than what Daniel Jones was. So, and you're playing a position that ultimately it does not have a tremendous, tremendous impact on how the game can go, but he can transcend that. And I guess that's why we can be so nitpicky on him. So, you mentioned how he was missing holes. My nitpick and my uh, critique comes in in terms of Saquon Barkley's east-west approach instead of having a north-south approach. Bobby, Saquon broke off huge big play runs in 2018 at an unforeseen rate. Uh, PFF has a measure they call breakaway rate. I won't read you what they say because that'll make Bobby very mad. Um, but even if Saquon Barkley was healthy in 2019, he probably wasn't going to break off these huge runs at the same rate he did in 2018. Now, maybe he might <laughs> because of the first two games of the season. He had a 59-yard run in Dallas. He was averaging six-plus yards per carry in those first two. I mean, he was dominant in those first two games. And it's like we never really yeah, got yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, he had that 59-yard run in Dallas um, and 27-yard run versus Buffalo all during the first series of the game. Uh, but the East-West approach was one that he also had in 2018. And until after the bye week, he didn't really fully fix it. And when he did, he was unstoppable. And I felt at points in 2019, he resorted back to that tendency to look for the big play and not take what was front of him, what was in front of him, partially because... I think he he struggled. He struggled in 2019, and he wanted to make the big play happen. And that's not necessarily a health thing. That's simply a mindset of, uh, I want to get the home run. I want to hit the home run. Um, and not simply just taking what, what's in front of me. And his big plays were really when he hit the hole. He just hits that hole harder than anybody. He can make cuts in the hole faster than anybody. And, I mean, think about you know the first series against Dallas, the first series against Buffalo. Um, the run against the Eagles, against the Redskins, they, they were from him hitting the hole and just hitting it better than any running back in the NFL camp. Now, we want to talk about his blocking because that was pretty horrendous for a few yes. weeks. And it showed up uh, on his ankle. It just looked like he couldn't plant his foot. I mean, he two there was two strip sacks um, against the Jets because of him. Now, Daniel Jones, you got to hold on to the ball regardless. But that in the Arizona game, he had missed blocks and some missed assignments, like some mental mistakes. He was just flat out bad in the blocking game for some time as of week 11 he allowed two sacks and five qb pressures in 38 snaps of pass protection so uh he would single-handedly ruin drives and give up points to the other team last year and at the end of the day bobby i think he knows that so yeah and that's the thing with him is like it's it's not like oh my gosh he's a horrible blocker we have this running back who can't block it was just like part of the ankle injury and, the, and like you said like he knows better. He's going to get better at that regardless. So that's not something I go into 2020 worried about. It was just an observation from the 2019 year. And uh, I don't know if you saw, did you see that Dan Patrick uh, NBC sports segment where he was reading his scouting report from college and he was talking about like, you know, the positives of his game, but particularly going into the negative aspects of his game? Yep. I mean, I, I just thought that was 
very, very cool to see. And he talked the the same exact critiques that I had, um, that I had for Saquon Barkley in terms of talking about, you know, needing to have more of a north-south approach and his pass blocking, which we both talked about. He acknowledged both of those things and he went into uh, great, great lengths. Um, that's actually something that I would like to see like other players do, where in that kind of setting, it's not. It's not like an attack where I feel like when you're when somebody's by a locker room and if you have a beat reporter that, you know, where things can easily be taken out of context in that kind of like intimate setting where you're just oh, you're just talking about the strengths and weaknesses of your game. I thought that was really cool. So like that's Dan Patrick's segment. He's done it with a bunch of you guys I've seen. Um, now, I will say it's a little more funny when it's Saquon Barkley or J.J. Watt. When you're doing that with John <laughs> Halapio, it might not be as funny if you know what yeah. I mean. Um, no, I know what you mean. Now, Saquon Barkley in the receiving game. Listen, I will die on this hill. People are like, Pat Shermer does not do enough to get him in the rec- open the receiving game. They need to do what Carolina does with Christian McCaffrey. And that's why, out of anger, I did a breakdown on what Carolina does with McCaffrey. And they were doing the exact same things. What happened this year, Justin, is when they re- – listen, the Giants ran wheel routes with Saquon Barkley. There was a couple misses. There was that drop against Chicago. And for the most part – Linebackers, when they saw him like start that wheel route, they bailed because they know what Saquon like. Teams understand that they game plan against Saquon's receiving ability, and we saw it, you know get a little better as the year uh, went along. But the the Giants weren't like just doing the most like they weren't like. Now I'm not going to sit here and say like like Shermer was Kyle Shanahan or anything, but they were trying to get Saquon open, and part of it. Justin was on Daniel Jones, and I'm not. I'm not even saying that as a knock on Daniel Jones. Where Daniel Jones is, he's focused downfield, and that's something he needs to get better in his game at is knowing when to keep your eyes downfield and when you can see coverage and say, you know what, it's not going to open downfield. I need to get off to my running back. Where it was kind of too little, too late a lot of times when you know checking the ball down to Saquon. And even with that said, in 13 games he had over 50 catches. Now they weren't like the the greatest quality of them, but nonetheless, so. Do we expect Garrett to get him more involved? I don't know. Like I don't. I don't see Garrett anything from Garrett's offense that goes. Oh my gosh, they're going to use Saquon so much better in the receiving game than Pat Shermer does. I think it's just a lot more on Daniel Jones and his you know reading defenses quicker. Bobby, if I remember correctly, one of the things that we said that we wanted to see out of Saquon Barkley in this Giants offense this year was less catches for Saquon. Because, you know, what what happened in, you know, 2018 with Eli, it was, you know, check down city, check down city, check down city. And having Saquon Barkley, what did he tie or what did he break the rookie reception record? It was it was kind of. I hit, kind he of had nuts. 91 catches. That's all I know. That, that's yes. a lot. But it was up there in terms of, you know, the franchise best for rookies, which is, you know, nuts for a running back. But we did say coming into this year that we wanted our running backs to catch a little bit less balls because we didn't just want it to be check down city. Now there's a balance. There's a balance where, you know, we wanted Eli to push the ball downfield more. And now we're saying with Daniel Jones, well, buddy, don't hold on to the ball for as long and get rid of the ball a little bit faster. And part of that is checking it down to Saquon Barkley when it is available, when it is in front of you. So what we ultimately need to find. Oh, also statistically, what we also said that we wanted was his yards per reception numbers to go up. So in 2018, it was 7.9. In 2019, it was 8.4. So by half a yard. It, it did kind of go up a little bit, but also at the same time, I feel like you still want that stati- that you want that yards per reception number to go up a little bit more for next year. 
Yeah, but also I think it's just something like where we're so focused in on our team where we like don't forget what the rest of the league is doing. And the more volume you're used, like the lower your number is going to be. I mean, look at Christian McCaffrey, who was praised. I mean, people were slurping the way this man was used in the receiving game. So Saquon, in this horrible year receiving the ball, uh, 8.4 yards per reception. McCaffrey at 8.7. So, like, that's better, but by 0.3 yards. So it wasn't like some – I'm telling you, like, and I went and broke down every single catch by Christian McCaffrey, and it was nothing insane. Arrow routes are nice, but you can't just run arrow, 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 arrow. It's kind of a long, like, developing play for a running back almost. So, I don't know. I just get frustrated. Um, now, Shermer's not here, so I'm, I don't even, there's no need of me defending him. But I thought that was just a horrible critique. Well, let me let me just say this. I guarantee you, Carolina Panther fans on uh, on Panthers Twitter, they're talking about how why can't uh, Christian McCaffrey be used like Saquon Barkley, where they get him out into space. I literally guarantee you. That's a conversation that is happening because other fans don't know other teams. I guarantee you. Yeah, whereas like like Matthew Stafford from the rest of the league last year, like people were like, hey, he's good, you know? Like, And then like Lions fans were like pissed off that he made the Pro Bowl. So it's just one of those things that we're just so focused in on our team. So, and I expect him to get better. Um, hopefully, you know, I don't know how Garrett's going to get him involved in the receiving game, but. Uh, hopefully he he does get him more involved, and he was like using him out at wide receiver. He did that a little bit, but it was just it was just kind of a, it was a matter of Jones wasn't really targeting Saquon. Like he was he was almost never. If that's what you want to critique on Shermer is that Saquon was never like the first or second guy in his progression. Like I remember there was a game in Arizona where he was lined up wide in a slant, and if Jones looks at him because um, he was backside on a slant, if Jones looks at him, it's a t- it's like a sixty yard touchdown. But Jones doesn't look over there. He throws it for like an eight yard. Um, like curl out route with Ingram or something like that. So anyways, do you got anything else on Saquon? We spent over 20 minutes on the man. No, and I I think he deserves it in a way uh, because of just how important he is. Uh, and especially if the Giants can prioritize getting off to faster starts in 2020, what is going to happen and what I think what Dave Gettleman wants to form this team as, as a run first team, if you can get off to an early lead, Saquon Barkley can be a huge part of how, you know, how we keep leads and how we sustain and maintain leads in football games. You know, that's the 49er Baltimore Raven model that you're looking at. Um, So yeah, um, I got nothing else. All right. Wayne Goldman, six foot, 210 pounds, 25 years old. A lot. I was very down on Wayne Gallman going into 2019. I feel like a lot of people were high on him. I just wasn't, and I I wanted the Giants to bring in like real number two competition, and they didn't. You know, they brought in Rod Smith. They cut Rob Martin, who I thought actually had a chance at that number two spot if he was given his fair shot. Um, and then they had John Hillman, um, and oh, and Paul Perkins, who you know ended up getting cut. And Wayne Gallman this year had 51 carries for 176 yards and one touchdown, which is 3.5 yards per carry. That's pitiful, pitiful. And when he actually did get a shot, he got hurt. Now, I don't want to injury shame him, but nonetheless, he did get hurt. In 2019, he averaged 3.8 yards per carry. And then, Justin, I went and looked at every game from the past two years where he had five-plus carries, so at least a little bit of volume. He's averaging 3.4 yards per carry. Now, with a team like Saquon, you don't really need uh, a good number two running back if Saquon's healthy. But nonetheless, I'm not confident with Wayne Gallman as a number two. I wasn't going into 2019, and I, especially not in 2020. In fact, the Giants weren't either. They benched him for Buck Allen. 
Yeah, uh, Wayne Gallman, probably the most significant thing about uh, his season, uh, besides the game that he had at home versus Washington the first week after Barkley was injured, is the fact that for the final fi- for the final five games of the season, he was a healthy scratch. So obviously he did get hurt in the midst of Saquon Barkley being out. But for the final five games of the season where Barkley was healthy, uh, he was a healthy scratch. Um, and even in games where Barkley would seem to be somewhat favoring his ankle, kind of like we touched on earlier in the episode, or he might have needed a break because Saquon Barkley's snap, snap, uh, snap percentage was uh, still very, very high. Gallman's number was rarely called upon. Um, this all goes back to like the weird dynamic that went on between the Giants and Gallman during training camp. Rod Smith, John Hillman, even Paul Perkins, they would get a ton more reps than he would, even with the second team offense. And you sometimes even forgot that Gallman was on the team. Uh, Maybe this was because his spot was already locked. Not entirely sure. But entering into the last year of his rookie deal like he is in 2020, Bobby, uh, his future is definitely uncertain. And if there's anything we learned from 2019, because of the fact that running back is such a position that you, you get hurt. Running backs get hurt. Um you can't just rely on anyone to be the backup behind Barkley. But like you said, also, I'm not that concerned about backup running back. Um, but it, so this is, it's actually an interesting conversation. It's just that I don't have a ton of thoughts on it. Like right now. Yeah. We got to go get Jonathan Stewart as a backup to, for insurance, to be honest. Oh um, my wait, Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> oh, oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. It's, I love having that soundboard back, baby. All right. Uh, yeah, I don't have much more on Goldman. Like I said, I just did not buy into the hype. Like, again, he was good at Clemson. He's got like he had some good measurables, but my man's never read a hole in his life. He just hits the hole and goes. I remember after the first try at Washington, where everyone's freaking out, like, "Oh my gosh, Goldman, Goldman!" It's like, yeah. He, even after the Washington game, like, see this. And listen, I there is fair points on both sides of the running back issue. But I thought it was so funny. It's like after the Washington game, it's like, let's see what happens. You don't need um, a good running back. It's like, but he averaged like three, like less than four yards per carry in this game. He had a one-yard touchdown. Oh, he didn't do anything special. So I'm just not big on Gallman at all. Um, and in fact, I'd rather have the guy who took his spot, Buck Allen, who's six foot, 218 pounds, 28 years old. I'd rather have him as a number two back. Now, he only averaged 3.6 yards per carry, but he did run better. He broke to the outside in his little attempts. I mean, he had 10 carries, eight were against Miami. Um, he had a couple one-yard runs in there, which, you know, brings down the, the yards per carry. And then there's two other games where he had one one carry, so really nothing. I'm not big on Buck, I, that, don't get me wrong, but I'd rather have him than Gallman. And Buck Allen has had some success in his career. I guess I should preface that his real name is Javorius. But, you know, he had um, a season where he, where he averaged – actually, he sucks too – I mean, he's, he's averaged 3.9 yards per carry. There was a year where he had uh, almost 600 yards with Baltimore. But the Giants, I feel like I don't know who's out there in free agency or if they draft a guy in the sixth round. Um, I'm sure when we look at the running back crew, like, you know, uh, I'm sure there'll be someone worthy of a backup spot in the sixth, seventh round or in the undrafted free agent camp and not just getting the Rutgers running back. Um, Buck Allen, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, during that Miami, I mean, really, the only thing that we have to go off of besides, you know, he had one carry in Green Bay, one carry in Philadelphia. Um, he didn't even he I think he he got in again in the Washington game, but he didn't have any carries, didn't have any catches. But, you know, he had eight carries, 28 yards, like probably, like you said, Bobby against Miami. 
you look kind of like looked at his numbers and then he said, Oh, this guy actually kind of stinks. This guy actually kind of sucks a little bit. You felt like he had like, Oh, whenever he was in, he had like a few flash, not flashy, but you felt like he had a few good moments and looking at he bounced, stats, he, thought, what he did is he bounced it against Miami a couple times. Right. I will right. say I was mad that he did get that one touchdown. Um, cause I was there for Eli's last game cause I care about him so much when they were at the one yard line. And I was just like, come on, let, let Eli sneak this in and, and leave the field with a rushing touchdown. It was his last play ever. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But I got, I got nothing on, I got pretty much got nothing on Buck Allen. I'm, I'm surprised that you chose to talk about Buck Allen before you chose to talk about my man, John Hillman. I'm kind of offended. I'm kind of mad. John Hillman wasn't on the active roster when the season ended. Now he did start a game against the Patriots. He played a lot of snaps against Minnesota. He finished the season with 30 carries for 91 yards. So three yards per carry. He had two fumbles. My man. Listen, Justin, I get uh, criticized as overly positive. Um, when I went through the 2019 draft class, when I went through every undrafted free agent, I could find something positive to say about everyone but two players. Those two players were one, the seventh round pick, Chris Slayton, defensive tackle out of Syracuse. The other one was running back John Hillman out of Rutgers and formerly Boston College. I mean, he just showed me nothing on film. And I get that he was put in a bad situation when he was put in with the Giants. But my man adds nothing. And I interviewed him. And he was, you guys thought I was bad with the Chisiler interview? My gosh, the John Hillman interview. I think the John Hillman interview influenced the way I approached the Kevin Zeitler. I'm like, I'm never doing these boring interviews again. You know, uh, Bobby, it hurts my heart. Um that you say these things about my friend John Hillman. I went to high school with John Hillman. Uh, I refuse to say anything negative about him, so I'm just going to tell everybody that right now. I went to I went high to school with a guy who was who's in prison right now, so um, can't be picking favorites here, Justin. Well, all right. Well, I well, too bad I am picking. favorites. And honestly, Hillman has affected our life more negatively than the guy in prison. <laughs> He's going to hate I want to. I want to try. I want to try and work that into a drop. Um, no, I went to no, St. Peter's Prep. I went to St. Peter's Prep with uh, John Hillman. Do you know where? Do you know where St. Peter's Prep is, uh, Bobby? It's in New Jersey. Yeah, New Jersey. Yeah, um, I saw him over the summer. John recognized me, uh, and I and I didn't even have to say where he knew me from. So that was pretty cool. Just to give an update on John Hillman, he's working with Savon Huggins right now. He's a former Rutgers running back as well, uh, and he's also a shout out to Team Do It. If you're a young high school athlete in the New Jersey, New York area, and you wanna and you wanna get some good training, go to Team Do It, which is D O W I T. Do you see what he did there? It's not Do It. It's Do Wit. The W. Rob key. Martin was better than John Hillman. You know. I'm, I wasn't even done with my comments on John Hillman. You just threw Rob Martin into the into the stratosphere. It was, was. very rude. It was very rude. Um, but I, regardless, re- regardless of your feelings of John Hillman, he's signed to some kind of futures deal, or, or that's definitely not what yeah. it's called. But he it's has a, fut- he a has, futures contract. It's oh, it is on the practice. Yeah, it's how they oh, fill out. For me. It's how you get ni- you get ninety men on the roster on futures deals. And then once you get drafted guys and you, you, know, you pr- cut guys that you don't want. I'm proud. I remembered that. So he's going to, ha- you know, he's going to have to earn his spot on the team again this summer. Oh God, no. You know, in the, in, in the, in the, in the games that he played with the team, he had a 45% special team snap share and a 17% uh, special team snap share. And then no snaps in his final game versus new England on special teams. So he's probably going to have to earn it um, as a backup running back. And according to you, it doesn't sound like you want him to, to earn that. So Backup. I don't want him to be a third string running back. I don't even want him on the. I think he's a waste of a practice squad spot. Um, no. I, I don't know why I'm being so mean. I just can't. I it, it's it's. I shouldn't be mad at him. I was mad at the Giants for letting him 
one, like cutting a spot to to get or cutting Rob Martin to make sure he had a spot, and then letting him ever start a game, let alone against the New England Patriots on the third. Like it's just that was that was a very frustrating move by the Giants this offseason. All right, we got mailbag questions. Yeah, let's take a break and we'll get into the mail. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Come on. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. All right. Thanks, Steve, from Blues Clues. Now we do have a voicemail line. I feel like I don't we don't advertise it as much. Pull out your phone right now. Go into your con open up your contact list. Open it up. Click new contact. Type in Talking Giants. T-A-L-K-I-N Space Giants. G-I-A-N-T-S. And then under the number, put 732-443-0867. That's 732-443-0862. Justin, let's get into the mail. This is Glenda Jones, and I need to talk to uh, Marty. Would you ask her to please call me? scared me for a second. Yeah, what did you think? So she called again? Yeah, honestly. I was like, who's this? I miss Glenda. All right, no no voicemails today, but we do have seven mailbag questions. So here we go. MC, Mr. Chris, friend of the show, he did ask, with the coaching staff finally announced, which positional coach will try to convince the head coach slash GM to use the dra- the top draft spot for their unit? Now, Bobby, I have, I, have a, I have a challenge for you, and I've thought about this all day. I want you to create a scenario where this would never happen, by the way. This is, unreal- this is an unrealistic scenario, but I want you to act as the positional coach of your choice and I want you to walk into Dave Gettleman's office and pitch why the team should select or assign the biggest free agent um, out there or select a, a player in your position with the number four pick. So are you ready or do you want me to go first? I'm ready. Hold on. I have to pull something up, though. Okay. Do it like a skit. Oh, hey, Dave Gettleman. Just listen to metal music. Did you know I have uh, my own metal band? Um, and I'm bald, and I'm tough. Um, so, Dave, you remember that time I, I challenged Brandon Jacobs to a fight? Um, if, uh, we don't have any metal music. I know, Siri. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't uh, draft me Andrew Thomas um, out of Georgia, uh, I'm going to have to fight you, old man. Can you guess what coach I was? You were uh, Sir Mark Colombo, uh, lead singer of the metal band Free Rain. <laughs> yes, and I think Mark Colombo would probably be the best one. He's got that connection with Garrett, and the Giants need to uh, address the tackle position. I don't think it should be done in free agency. So my honest answer to that would be Mark Colombo and the offensive line coach, or the offensive line coach. Uh, that was Bobby's impersonation of Mark Colombo. Here's his impersonation of Kermit the Frog. I mean, Kermit the Frog is easy for anybody. There you go. Okay, oh, I'm so glad I did that. All right, I'm Kevin Scherer, the interior linebackers coach, and I'm going into Dave Gettleman's office um, where Dave Gettleman just got done with. No holds bad. He was, he took me in the low post and won, but 
He just got done with a no holds barred conversation in his Boston accent. So I'm going to go in and have another no holds barred conversation. I'm Kevin Scherer, and I'm like, hey, uh, Dave, you probably don't know me. I'm an interior linebackers coach. My name's Kevin Scherer. Um, I think I'm bald, and that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of other characteristics that other that other these inter- that other these positional coaches have. Uh, we literally only have one player um, as an interior linebacker, like on this roster right now, that we know can actually start in 2020. Um, but he's kind of hurt with the torn ACL. So if you can like get me some other interior linebackers, that would be great. Um, who, I I can't do an accent. Who you want? Do you? <laughs> this is oh really my God. horrible. Was that yours? Is that your I, Dave Gettleman impersonation? I can't do it. No holds barred. Who do you want? Clemson? <laughs> All right. So there you go. That's the answer to that question. Shall we move on to the next question? Yeah. I did have fun doing that. I'll be honest. That was fun. The real Frank the Tank. Hey, guys. Which positional coach are you most excited for? Hello, Frank the Tank. How you doing? Hey, Frank the Tank. I'm going to go, because I just did Mark Mark Colombo, but that might just be the offensive lineman in me. I'm going to say Freddie Kitchens. He has a lot of experience at that tight end spot. He's had a lot of success at it. He kind of just came off of a head coaching spot where he, now, he sucked as a head coach, but you can't say he didn't learn a lot. He's got that personal connection with Joe Judge. I think Freddie Kitchens at the tight end coach is like the one I'm the most confident and excited for. And he's kind of got like a versatile group to work with with Evan Ingram and Caden Smith. I am going to say Kevin Shuplinski, our quarterback coach, simply because uh, partially. Jerry uh, Shuplinski. How excited can you be about someone and you don't know his first name? Who did I say? You said Kevin Shuplinski. Is it Kevin Scherer or is it Jerry Shuplinski, the QB coach? I got, I got, I got, a, uh, I got Kevin Gilbright on the mind because I'm going to see the the New York Guardians this Sunday. So I apologize. Well, you said Je- Kevin, you said Kevin Scherer too, who's the inside so linebacker coach. Um. Well, everybody, every. Everybody knows I'm an idiot. So, um, uh, Jerry Shuplinski, I apologize. Um, but yes, yeah, there's Arsh- a guy named Jerry Shuplinski, and your his first name was the one you got wrong. My gosh. Yes, largely because uh, Mike Shula is out of the building. That's number one. And number two, I like the fact that he was able to develop quarterbacks while sitting on the bench in terms of Brissett. And, and Jimmy Garoppolo, I know that's not how you say his name. Uh, I liked how he developed those guys on the bench, and then they went to their other respective teams, and they have done uh, somewhat adequate to also uh, the other guy kind of just uh, played in a Super Bowl. So uh, excited to see what he could do with our with our buddy Daniel Jones. Yeah, lost the Super Bowl because he sucks. Um, hey, you know anyways. what? T- take it easy. Uh, Garoppolo Next sucks. question. Stop it. Stop it. He does. We're not, we're not getting on this tangent. It's not a tangent. Garoppolo sucks. Johnny Jeep, friend of the, I'm gonna every everybody who left a a question today is a friend of the show. Um, which we thank you. We thank you for leaving, leaving questions. questions for the show. I would hope so. Would anyone else be deeply disappointed if Gettleman doesn't take a defensive player the first round of the draft, unless he is prepared to spend some big bucks on Clowney, Juden, Barrett, Chris Jones, etc.? We are going to be in serious defensive trouble again this year. So, Bobby. Um, or would you be disappointed if Gettleman doesn't take a defensive player in the first round of the draft? No, because I think offensive tackle is a very important position, and we need one desperately. We have a young QB, and we don't want to be like the Indianapolis Colts and try and figure everything else around. We try and do everything to fix a defense, and then you leave your QB out there to dry by signing old free agents. Now, 
I agree with Johnny that they, I do believe they need to spend some money in free agency on the defense. Um, but listen, I, I'm not saying I don't want a guy like Isaiah Simmons, but if they go offensive tackle, namely Andrew Thomas, then I am completely fine with that. This is the ultimate uh, uh, tug, tug of war at my heartstrings right now and the tug of war at my brain in terms of what's out there for the Giants, uh, getting really uh, discouraged and upset with all the holes that we do have, but also getting excited at how many options there are out there. And I guess this week will kind of be the first conversation that we actually do have about it, which which also excites me. The fact that we'll be able to fully fledge this out together, Bobby and myself. The fact that the Giants have had so many first-round picks these last couple of years, or at least their first picks, their first picks of each draft these last couple of years, they've all been offensive players. Um, yes, the Giants did take two defensive players in the first round last year, which a lot of people like to forget just to fit that narrative of, oh, you look at how many times the Giants have taken an offensive player in the first round. Well, they also did take two defensive players in the first round, too, last year. You can't forget about that. Literally um, 50% of Gettleman's first round picks have been defense. Yeah, but a lot of well, I'm just saying a lot of people on Giants Twitter have like and I'm not naming names. A lot of people on Giants Twitter have liked to use that justification as a reason why the Giants have to go defense at number four. Name a name. Um, I'm not going to name a name. Not going to do that. Uh, you can't. You can't put me in this box. Um, if you're smart, you'll know who I'm talking about. Because there isn't a like a left tackle on this market. I mean, even Conklin. A lot of people are excited about Conklin. I think Bobby, you've, you've kind of you've went into why you don't like Conklin. Why you don't really like his his uh, his ability to play football. He's Trash. not even a left tackle. So. There's not even a, like a good left tackle that's on this market, that's on this free agent market. So in a way, you had a positional value argument, Bobby, where even though I want to go defense so bad, I kind of, you know, Isaiah Simmons obviously is so, so enticing. Uh, Okuda is the guy that's been uh, on my brain and he's been in my dreams these uh, these last, these last couple nights uh, thinking about a secondary with Okuda, Baker, Logan Ryan, possibly Devin McCourty, Julian Love, and Jabril Peppers, that makes me salivate um, and thinking about the – and that's kind of realistic that nobody nobody there is like uh, an insane uh, price tag that you would need to sign. Um, so there's, there's multiple sides to it. Bobby brings up a positional value uh, argument, and I would kind of have to go with that at least for now before we really get into analyzing everybody in the draft. Well, Justin, since while we're on this question, Alex Snare, Alex Snare. Is a snare or snare? Would you go OT or defense with the fourth pick, assuming we don't trade out of it? As of now, and listen, this is subject to change. I'm going Andrew Thomas, the left tackle from Georgia. Who who would you go? Mm. This can change, Mm-mm-mm. so don't worry. This isn't your absolute like your mock draft pick. Right now, this week, it's the week. Today is February sixth. Right now, I'm going Okuda. Because that just entices me so much. It, it, I mean, it also it does depend on what they. People are going to come for our heads because we didn't say Isaiah Simmons. You know that, right? I know, I know, it, but I really do think it's recency bias because of the fact that a few people have done fancy edits with putting Isaiah Simmons in a Giants jersey and recency bias of he, you know what? And, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, you know, uh, hate him for this. The guy performed at the biggest on the biggest stage in the national championship. Good for him. But don't let recency bias just absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, shadow and blind you to the fact that there are other good players in this draft, and there's other really fantastic scenarios that could happen. So, all really does depend on free agency. But right now, I'm going Okuda because that second, the, the potential for a very good secondary uh, makes me salivate. I like it. I like it. All right. Next question. Next Justin. question. All right. NYG Life. 
if y'all were the GM, which I love saying y'all. Do not what, even. Oh my gosh. Are you going to disrespect me to say y'all? Because you know that I am the king of saying y'all. No, I actually like saying y'all, but it's not okay. authentic. Some people get mad at when I say it. And y'all tripping, no. to be honest. No, I, I like saying y'all whenever it comes up, but it's not authentic for me to say, so I don't say it. So I'm not a fake, I'm not a fake person. If y'all were the GM, what are you asking for in return to trade down, specifically how much it'll take for you to move down? I'm going to ask mark. that question the way he said it. If y'all were the GM, what are you asking for in return to trade down, specifically how much it'll take for you to move on down? You got to say, I got to say, whenever there's y'all in the question, I have to say it. Okay. So what's your answer? Well, let me read the question. I was reading. I was reading the question, but I wasn't paying attention to what I was reading. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, you have to get another first round pick, whether that's in next year's draft or this. People have said the Raiders, uh, the Dolphins. Listen, I would be fine trading with the Colts if they want to trade up, because I don't know if a QB, a rookie QB, is going to come in and like make them a playoff team. So that could be a good first round pick, and then you get the number thirteen pick. Um, so you got to get another another first round pick with it. And then, I don't know, you know, maybe another, maybe a starter or, you know, a couple second round picks, something like that. I mean, I guess what I would say is if you're dropping down to 10 or below, something that, the you know, what what, what the Colts got from the Jets. And then if not, you got to get the extra first round pick. Yeah, I would simply say just look at precedent. I mean, there have been teams that have gotten hauls before, um, you know, I think about, uh, the Rams and the Washington Football Club. Uh, d- that, but that was like an outlier deal. That was like an outlier deal, right. though. We're not getting that with right. the fourth pick. I mean, I definitely think that you know if you're trading from if a team's trading from six or seven up to four, you're not you're you're not going to get as much as a haul as if you're trading with the Colts. That's why the Colts are such an enticing uh, uh, partner because of the fact of how far back they are. So they're going to kind of have to give up more. You would think that that could uh, that could just be how Justin's brain is working right now, and that's not the best philosophy. I would just say look at precedent right now. Don't compromise. That that's simply that's simply my ask for Dave Gettleman uh, is to not compromise just because there may be an offer that is somewhat enticing or don't compromise uh, what but what is probably the toughest part about this entire ordeal of trading down or not trading down is because of the fact that we have teams that are above us, Washington and Detroit that do also want to trade down. So it's, you know, do you compromise and do you just take the deal that's in front of you or do you kind of wait and you, you're, it's, it's going to be a huge game of poker. Um, I don't know if I'm really looking forward to it um, because Gettleman doesn't really have a lot of experience in this. And I also don't fully trust him in this, but I'm looking forward to how fun and exciting it's going to be regardless. All right. Next question. Next question. NYG Life asked another question. Say we go out and sign two big players. What positions would you want to go for and who? After those guys, who do you think y'all think we should grab in the draft in the first round? We already who talked about who think we should we grab think? in the draft in the first round? All right, yeah, so we, we won't talk draft. That. My position would be a, a DN, whether that's Judon uh, Ngakwe, and then corner, whether that's Byron Jones, Logan Ryan. I, I, don't ha- I haven't really spent a lot of time looking into these guys to really say – like, oh, this is the guy I want. The only guy I spent time on was Conklin because I knew he was garbage and I just wanted to show that to people. Um, so, but basically, yeah, edge and corner. What about you, Justin? Uh, I want to talk everyone off this edge, uh, off this ledge of Yannick Ngakwe, okay? Haven't watched 
a ton of film on them. So I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this preface beforehand, but I'm not I'm not going to dissuade you, but I'm going to just talk you off the ledge of just because he's uh, posted a bunch of pictures of LT and he's and he's liking comments of all of these Giants fans. Just just take a breath. Guys only had uh, one season of quarterback hits that makes you feel like, okay, this is actually a satisfactory number. This past season, he had 15 quarterback hits. 15. He had eight sacks, which is, you know, a fine number. But 15 quarterback hits. That's not a lot, Bobby. Marcus Golden, what, did Marcus Golden have 27 quarterback hits this year? That That's absolutely insane. For a guy that you're going to give top-notch edge rusher money to, to have 15 quarterback hits, I think is absolutely terrible. Now, that's not to say that Ngakwe is a terrible, terrible player. It's not to say that he, uh, it's not to say that he doesn't earn the, that he doesn't uh, deserve the money, but in a way, I'd rather go out and get a guy like, um, like you know, that edge rusher from Baltimore that you mentioned. Uh, he he had a great season this year, but he's not gonna yeah. he's not gonna demand as much money. All right, and don't listen to anybody from fan sided who has sources, by the way, and has less than ten thousand followers. Anyways, next question. I didn't say who who we should go out and sign two big players. Can I answer that question? I'm gonna say very quickly. Not even big players. Um, Devin McCourty, not a big player, but I like the fact that we can have a veteran presence in the secondary free safety experience, free safety, not like Antoine Bethea, where he played in the box. And now we're going to put him at free safety. McCourty has experience at both, but he's a better free safety. And that means Julian love can kind of be a hybrid and go wherever we need him, which that is awesome because depth is a good thing. And also uh, Logan Ryan. Logan Ryan's a slot nickel cornerback, and I think that's a huge need for this team. So I've, I'm very much invested in the secondary right now. Um, and also the, the edge rusher for Baltimore interests me, and that's Judon. So um, next question. The Jersey Fanatic. When it comes to giant rumors or news, which beat writers do you trust the most? Which one do you completely ignore because they are always wrong? The only one I trust with rumors is Duggan. The rest of them, unless they're actually reporting something, I don't believe it. Um, I, and I just don't like, especially draft rumors. I don't even believe the guys like Schefter, like draft rumors. I just don't believe because they're just always wrong. I don't believe, and they have a thousand people saying different things. So I don't believe anything draft rumors wise. Um, as far as rumors, Dan Duggan is the only one I do one because he doesn't just throw out just random stuff for clicks. Like if he's got, if he's got something, he got, has something. He had the Pat Shermer firing news. He had Brett Bielema signing. He's really the only Giants beat reporter who gets like news like first, and not just like, oh, I can confirm this report. So Duggan is the only guy, and we're gonna have him on here soon too. Yeah, Duggan's just a flat out standout guy. Uh, the Athletic does great work as well. The Athletic is really growing in their ability to just be a legitimate source and news source and sports media site. So I mean, credit to them and credit to everybody at the at the Athletic for what they're doing. Um, and there's other writers I like. I'm not saying like he's the only good beat writer. But as far as like news right. and rumors, Duggan is the only one I trust. You and random people with 900 followers who have, according to their sources, Ooh, those guys you gotta zing. trust. I'm gonna get hate for this. I, I like I like Jordan Ronan. I like. I don't him. dislike Raynan. I know a lot of people hate him. I don't dislike him either. I pretend, I mean, if when it comes to rumors or news, which beat reporter do you trust the most? Uh, but in turn, just in, I know we're talking about you know news. Raynan would be rumors. two for me after Duggan, uh, as far as just rumors. Yeah, I know we're talking about rumors and news, but I like I like how he asks questions. I particularly noticed that now that I'm starting to pick up on the voices of the beat reporters too, 
you know, I think that's a that's a tough thing when you're look when you're watching these press conferences. It's like, oh, you don't really know who's asking who who's asking what question. They they were firm, they were strong, but they weren't like flat out disrespectful like Pat Leonard and Kim Jones were this offseason. So Yeah, and like I said, I have no problem saying who I don't like and publicly saying I mean, I've been pretty strong against Matt Len- or Matt Lombardo. Um Leonard, I don't really pay much attention to Kim Jones, I can't stand. Um, but Jordan Rainin, he gets a lot of hate, but I, I actually kind of like Jordan Rainin. I know people don't like that, but I, I like Jordan Rainin. I think he does a halfway decent job. Is he like pro team? No, but he doesn't like. I don't want my reporters to be pro team. I just want them to be honest and not have not try and make little things out of nothing. Like jaw, like like Pat Shermer is disrespecting Josh Allen. Kim Jones sucks. So does Matt Lombardo. All right, Bobby. I think that's uh, <laughs> I think that's all that we have. <laughs> all right um who's worse kim jones or matt lombardo i mean lombardo's here all the time what, and at least that's that's what gives lombardo the edge of being worse but i think yeah. if kim jones was there day to day it'd just be like oh my god this is the 29th time in this week you've asked about odell but i mean you do have to think about like where she comes from a national media perspective where Number one, because she was so close to him specifically, and then she only comes in every so often, like because she's reporting for NFL Network, people around the league want to hear about that. Whereas I think people on the, you know, on the East Coast and, you know, people that follow the Giants every single day, day in and day out, they're like, okay, we literally do not want Oda Beckham Jr. in our ears and in our brains like ever again. We're done with him. We're tired of it. But because she's coming from that national media perspective, it's like, oh, well, people still want to hear about it because it's such an entertaining thing to talk about but so i I, let let's preface that let's just preface that we we should also preface it with that that she sucks there you go okay all right that's a show right we appreciate you guys we'll see you guys on tuesday we may have an interview i'm not listen i'm not guaranteeing that because we had an interview with this guy last offseason and he flaked on us Um, i'm not even like mad at him it's just it's what happened So we might have it. We might not. Until then, though, let's go Big Blue.